it could be that in May, one guy goes off and one guy gets a little cold and that flip happens and then it never goes back. Yeah. The, the factors that go into becoming a big leaguer are so much more than just ability because every single person in minor league baseball has ability. Welcome back to another episode of Champion School. Champion School, we're sitting down with some of the brightest minds of the game, chatting a little life, chatting a little sports. I'm Ray McIntyre. That's Austin Byler, BZB. Austin, how are you, man? Dude, we're doing great. We got these sweet new hoodies for the squad. Shout out to Todd Cabrera in Casper, Wyoming. I just got back from Casper last night, so we're both we're both on the grinder here and, and enjoying it, man. But these things have been getting some love. They're really, really sweet, and we're super excited about it. So uh, good week coming ahead, man. How are you? I, I, I just thinking about that flight in the, in and out of Denver. Uh, for those of you guys that didn't know, yesterday was quite a windy day in uh, Denver, maybe across the United States. But we happened to catch uh, this very small plane into Denver that we thought might it might have been our last day. So we're happy to be Super here. Um, that that trip was awesome, by the way. First of all, again, shout out to Todd and Steve being on that trip with us uh, and that whole community. I know they were pretty busy for uh, you know softball was going and. It was Mother's Day weekend, so they had a lot going, but the kids that showed up, awesome kids, a lot of new kids too, which is cool, um, and to see that thing growing. And then obviously we just had another meeting with another individual out in Colorado, like teams growing, and uh, we're going to be able to really make some impact coming up through June, July, August. Uh, this month, you're going to be pretty busy uh, making the move. When are you driving out to uh, Laramie? We're going tomorrow, so Tuesday, we'll be driving up to Denver, stay there Till Friday morning, uh, we have a couple of cool speaking things with some teams, so that'll be fun. And then um, go from Friday morning up to Laramie, which is about two hours, and now we're we're in Laramie, so <laughs> it'll be a good. It's gonna be a fun trip, man. We're excited. It's gonna be nice to get away too, and and have a nicer summer weather-wise. And then we'll have a lot of great opportunities up in that area too. So it'll be fun to expand the team out uh, to the. I guess Western, but North or Northwest, but not Northwest. Like, I don't know what you would even call Denver in the Midwest maybe, uh, but we're going to be having a lot of fun out there this summer. It'll be good. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. You when's your guys first game? When does, when did the bison open up? Opening day, May 24th at on the road in Casper. Uh, unfortunately nice. I won't be there, but I'd like to be there because it's kind of ironic right in Casper. And then May 27th home game bison fest weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the perfect lineup to introduce the team. I think we're going to do a May 23rd exhibition game. At some point, maybe like a seven inning against UW club team uh, hasn't been confirmed yet, but we're, we're kind of just throwing that idea around. So on our end, we get the operations side kind of dialed in and then um, for the town kind of start introducing what we're what we're going to be doing. I don't know. Can you hear the Transformers fighting outside right yep. now? That, <laughs> Good. That's awesome. Good. Great. I can't wait for you guys to hear this because uh, whoever's running the dump truck outside is uh, really making sure everything gets out of that thing right now. So. <laughs> Uh, we're just going to let it ride uh, and continue on with the day. Today, Kieran Lovegrove, Lovegrove, Kieran Lovegrove, excuse me, right-handed pitcher, uh, was drafted in the third round by the Cleveland Guardians now, but Cleveland Indians back then, uh, and has worked in uh, as the player outreach coordinator for advocates for minor leaguers. Uh, this is his first, what, full year doing it, I think, now. Uh, he recently retired or, or finished his time playing with in professional baseball. His last team was at the Trash Pandas, one of the sickest, uh, sickest logos in all of professional sports. But 
Uh, the dude's very, very knowledgeable and he's going to dive into it. Some of the stuff he talks about, it's like crazy eye-opening, you know, and, and you're a guy that played in professional baseball and you had some great things to add to the conversation too, but uh, we'll get into that here shortly. So stick around for that. But before we do, hold on, Mecca box. We're going into, <laughs> <laughs> we're going into uh, great, good news of the week. All right. Good news of the week. Um, other than me just shutting the window so we don't have to hear that anymore. Uh, <laughs> number one, uh, well, actually only one today. And I thought this was so cool because we were Call of Duty guys. We both played it a lot growing up and uh, even when in our older days a little bit. But uh, Call of Duty, it's I think this week is uh, Military Appreciation Month, I believe, or, or something along those lines. Uh, but Activision, the people that are in charge of Call of Duty or one of the teams with Call of Duty, They've been trying to place veterans, like coming off, getting meaningful jobs uh, post service time. Uh, and this has been kind of part of their deal for a while now. Um, and they just hit a milestone of placing 100,000 veterans in meaningful jobs um, two years ahead of schedule. So they're flying on this thing, which is awesome. And then Blizzard donated or, or gives $30 million more to the project because they see how much value they've been putting into it. So as, as a Call of Duty guy, as a guy that uh, obviously we're both super appreciative of anybody that serves, uh, what, what's your thoughts on COD uh, stepping up and helping those vets? I think that's incredible, man, to just see them stepping up out of going out of their way to, to help other people and using it through a great platform that they have to where they can reach millions of people through video games. I mean, it's a pretty cool way for them to use their platform and to help impact people and to provide solutions and opportunities for those that um, may not always have those opportunities. So I think it's awesome what they're doing, man. That's super cool. And what a cool initiative. Now it makes me want to go game some COD here again. I know, right? Back on the grind. I know. And we were on the grind, not going to lie. We were, we were solid for there for a little <laughs> while, but uh, yeah, shout out to Call of Duty and Blizzard for making that happen. And I just thought that was a, a great note to hit on, especially military appreciation month starting now. So uh, that's going to do it for good news of the week. Quick stint. Uh, let's get into chew on this presented by Grimes. All right, welcome back. Chew on this. Uh, BZB, kick us off today for the Chew on This. Hey, Chew on This, Chew on This, Chew on This. <laughs> so we've got a, a really cool moment happened this last weekend in Casper. And so there was this one kid, and he was, he, he was a rec ball player. Uh, you can tell he was struggling a little bit. He kind of lacked maybe some confidence. I don't think he's played much baseball in his life, to be honest, either. Uh, 13 or 14 years old. And yeah, he was hitting, and he was trying to hit, and he just couldn't hit the ball. Right. He had no chance at the ball. He was missing, missing, missing. He kept saying, I can't hit the ball. I can't hit the ball. And, and Coach Todd Cabrera went over there and said, hey, man, here's a couple of things that we could fix. Showed him just one little thing mechanically that he can fix and then told him, look, you can hit the ball. You're not going to hit the ball with that type of attitude. You can hit the ball. Go up there, swing as hard as you can and just see what happens. And so he starts making contact, starts making contact. He's starting to hit the ball a little bit. Well, we get to the game at the end of the camp day and he gets up there and his first swing against coach Ray is a laser to left field for a base hit. Like it was the best swing he's taken all weekend long in two days that we've seen the kid hit. This was the best swing by far. And it was, it was legit swing. It was a hard line drive backspin, everything. And he gets the first base and he turns around. You see this massive smile on his face. Then the next inning, the kid turns a triple play by himself. Now you're playing with a bunch of different ages. So there's some, some random things happening, but 
needless to say, the dude goes out there and and makes this play, catches it, tags someone, throws the ball over, and turns this triple play after he just hit a line drive. And now this whole dude's life, I'm assuming, has been changed because one person believed in him. So I think it goes to show that coaches have a massive platform. So do teachers and parents that if you believe in somebody and you instill that confidence in someone else, they're going to play better, perform better, be better, and, and honestly, just feel better right about themselves. So it was a really cool moment for us just about how believing in yourself can be important. But as a coach, hey, instilling that belief, not yelling or getting upset or frustrated with the kids, but rather teaching them and coaching them with love and positive reinforcement and some leadership there and just helping guide them along their way and then letting them take the reins. And now it was just really fun to watch him and his smile after. So he won the the most improved player in the camp. He got a nice card. He got a sweet, I think it was King Griffey card and uh, yeah. had a great weekend overall. And the dude was so happy and smiling. It just changed the whole demeanor of, of that kid's attitude. And so I thought that was such an important thing to, to hit on and highlight. Yeah, we all know baseball and getting into professional baseball is like the, the odds of you even getting to college baseball is so thin, right? College sports, somebody threw a stat out there this weekend that 7% of high school athletes play a college sport of any kind, let alone baseball. So it's like thinner and thinner as you get up, and that's at all levels. So like to be able to give that guy an experience and like make him believe for a little bit, you know, that he can do this. Who knows where his trajectory goes, but yet two days ago, it wasn't on that path. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that was awesome from Todd. And I think a big point for parents that are listening to is like, we had hit on the coach and you'd mentioned parents, but parents, the biggest thing with Todd's doing there is directing the focus to the right thing, to the belief, to the fact that you could do it versus what we see a lot of times. And this isn't a knock on any of the parents that we know, but you tend to direct the focus on what they're struggling with and that's most of the time because they're trying to step in and do the right thing and help the kid out but the kid just sees i'm not good enough i can't hit the ball i'm struggling right so trying to direct them into that positivity into the belief system into the i can do this phase whether they're talented or not it doesn't really matter because if they believe it there's a chance they're going to do it so I think that's awesome. I think that's a great story and a great way to hit on uh, chew on this. So let's let's dive into this interview with Kieran. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. But again, the dude is so knowledgeable, and I think he's the right person to be leading the minor league push, the the baseball push, really to improve the lives of minor leaguers and uh, baseball folks in general. And I think he's uh, definitely the right man to have in charge for that. So uh, without further ado, Kieran Lovegrove. All right, welcome back to another episode of Champion School. I am Ray McIntyre. We are joined today by Kieran Lovegrove, former right-handed pitcher and player outreach coordinator for the Advocates for Minor Leaguers. I didn't want to get that wrong. Um, <laughs> Got to make sure we're dialed there. But he's doing a lot of great things for not only minor leaguers, but the game of baseball itself and and really adapting where we're going with this game and, and uh, making it better for players to come. So, Kieran, first of all, thank you for joining us today. How are you, man? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm doing pretty well. The The last couple of weeks have been fruitful. The players are now starting to see that they have power. Considering where we started just about a year ago, uh, it it instills me with a sense of pride that we did something. We kicked something off, we, we got it going, and the players have taken it and run with it. 
Um, and without them, this, this would not be possible. So for, for someone listening, can you give a little background on what you do in terms of your job and, and what the overall goal is with your guys' organization? Yeah. Um, so I'm player outreach coordinator with Advocates for Minor Leaguers. I started in that position uh, officially this offseason, but pretty much from last year when I started talking to Harry Marino, I wanted to be involved with this process of organizing the minor leagues and making sure that these players had a voice that was heard and that was effectively communicated to the top so that at least from my understanding, the owners knew we're not going to stay quiet anymore. It has been my job now over the last year to reach out to players, have conversations, uh, which has been difficult. There have essentially been three organizers and 5,400 minor leaguers. Um, so the, the universe is quite large to try and get through. Um, it was an absolute grind through the first six months. I mean, reaching out individually through Instagram, um, you know, one by one messaging, just going down a list of team names and looking them up and trying, um, only having about a 10% hit rate. Guys just weren't responding, which uh, is very understandable considering the culture of fear in baseball, of retaliation. If you think that your name gets out there, that's it. So it is. It was understandable, but we've started to break through that that um, that barrier, and especially the spring training when we were meeting with players in person and they got to see us and hear us face to face, hear the passion in our voice that this is something we want to get done. Uh, not just you know, it, it won't benefit me. I've retired, uh, but to leave baseball in a better spot than I came in about ten years ago, that's what I really wanted to do. There's a lot we can dive into and we will, but diving into your backstory here, can you give the people a little bit about how you got started? I know you were, you were born in South Africa. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, born in Johannesburg, uh, was there for about a year. Family moved to Cape Town, was there until I was about five. Uh, and then 99 flew over, lived in LA for a few years. Actually, that's where I first saw baseball. Nice. I've told the story of getting to go on the field with Paula Duca for the anthem and getting the sign ball and uh, from that moment on, it became pathological, um, my love for the game. It, 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 it has such a deep-rooted um, place in my brain that when I, when I started to see the faults in it, when I got to the pro level, um, I think that started to kick this process in gear even 10 years ago, long before I ever considered doing this. Um, but 2012, I was drafted by the now Guardians in the third round. I was with them for seven years. Uh, went on to the Giants, the Orioles, the Dodgers, and the Angels. Uh, so got to see multiple different uh, ways of running an organization. And I can unequivocally say there are better ways to do it than certain orgs are doing. And uh, there are examples out there that are pretty well established to success. I mean, the Dodgers are a great example of that. They spend money on their minor leaguers' food. They treat them like human beings. They give them everything they need in their development. They built a culture of um, camaraderie and fraternity among those players that everybody from the custodian at the complex to the GM to the president, everybody is bought in on the idea that your work helps us to win a World Series. The low A guy who fills in the high A spot for the guy who moved to double A, for the guy who moved to triple A, for the guy who got to the big leagues, all of those moves are ultimately helping to win a championship. And that culture is really something incredible that, you know, I hope some teams can realize it works. Go ahead, Austin. 
No, that's huge. And, and seeing it firsthand, and we're talking off air just a little bit about it, but I was with the, with the Diamondbacks for a few years and I got to see firsthand, obviously playing a lot of the Dodgers organizations um, through different levels, how well they took care of their players. Um, we've worked with a couple guys one-on-one who are in the Dodgers organization now and uh, just the resources that they have, not only nutritionally, but just like the access and how they take care of their players yeah, is second to none. Yeah. unbelievable and they spend you said it best they spend money on them and there's plenty of organizations out there that we could name off if we wanted to that uh they treat their minor leaguers like they're just a piece of trash right and and we go to certain uh, locations and you can see the evidence of that of where these guys are living um but for you here what is like the like when you were going through that process as a player what sparked that change like like what kind of made you passionate about this side and and to make a change for all the other athletes out there because you mentioned earlier the fear base and that was something for us like somebody comes to you hey there's a wage thing hey you can you can file a lawsuit you can do this but we're like dude i'm not putting my name on anything because if somebody sees it i'm screwed i'm released like i'm not giving them an excuse but what really kind of prompted you to dive into this after seeing the conditions and maybe some of the stories that you saw as far as living conditions, food, et cetera, from your experience in the minor leagues? I um, So I came in, I, I got a decent signing bonus. So I got to live one side of the coin for the first few years of my career, eating the food I wanted to eat, staying where I wanted to stay, having the ability to have a car, um, really living pretty comfortably. And uh, really getting to invest in my development. So, you know, des- despite my own personal destructive tendencies, uh, I was gradually getting better as a player. I got to about 2017 and realized like, oh, I'm hemorrhaging money. Like I'm burning through my signing bonus and I'm not making anything to, to refill it on the back end. So I started living like a minor leaguer, you know, mattress in the middle of a living room with blanket walls. But I had always been very vocal about things that I found as inefficient or redundant within organizations. Uh, Things that just didn't make sense in terms of if you're trying to win a World Series, why wouldn't you make this better? Now, I was pretty lucky to be with the Guardians for the first seven years in that they do things the right way. I I give them full credit and uh, really praise their, their development staff because they invested in new weight rooms, they invest in nutrition, they invest in mental health, they invest, they invest in um, mental strength coaches. So they did a lot of things the right way. They're, you know, one of the first teams to build a, a housing complex next to their spring training facility mm-hmm. so that guys never have to worry about where they're staying. So I got to see things that were done the right way. And as I moved into other parts of my career, and I went to teams like the Giants and the Orioles and seeing things done a little bit differently, I realized that overall baseball and especially minor league baseball is not designed with the intent to win. Mm. It almost has no design at all. Um, It it truly felt like an afterthought. And as somebody who had spent, you know, years and years in the systems looking at guys who are coming up to the big leagues who were never supposed to be big league players. And now here we are five years later and they're getting hundred and something million dollar contracts. It made me realize, well, if you can sign a guy for $15,000, invest a little bit into his development and turn out a $150 million player, that's good business. You should be wanting to do that. And so I just consistently saw these inefficiencies and these, and um, just, like I said, the afterthought of, of minor league baseball and considered it to be an opportunity that we could genuinely make the game better from a player's standpoint from a fan standpoint, um, 
perception, all of that could improve if we improved the foundation of the game, which to me is the minor leagues. Mm. Um, I think in the big leagues now, there's like four or five guys total who never played minor league games. It's crazy. It's so cool to see that too. And like you said, the foundation, right? I mean, there's thousands of minor leaguers and there's very select few big leaguers and we all dream of that. And it's really right place at the right time. Who goes down, who doesn't go down, who are you behind? Who are you not behind? Where are you ranking? Like there's so many things that go into it. And I remember walking around and, and at least in our complex and I, and I believe the Dimebacks did it the right way. I, I thought everything they did for us was awesome. They started to invest in our, our mental health towards the end of my, my career there and um, doing some of those types of things. And um, I just remember walking around with so much fear every single day and, and, I was a good player, right? I mean, you're a good player. We're all there, right? We had we had some success, and uh, I was so fearful. And I look back yeah. on, I'm like, why the heck was I so scared all the time? Like, I walked by one of my coaches, and I don't even want to talk to him because I'm so nervous to say a word. You know, because like, why they make you think that you're so lucky to be there? Yeah. Despite the Fair fact worse. that, in context, you spent years as an amateur developing yourself to the point where that team sought you out and signed you to a contract. Yep. And if they wanted somebody else. They would have gotten somebody else. Yep. Plain and simple. If they really consider us to be replaceable, go try and replace us. Yes. And it just can't be done because minor league players are the best baseball athletes on the planet from the available pool of players. Yep. Plain and simple. And the difference between a major leaguer and a minor leaguer could be something as simple as a little bit of consistency, a little bit of mental stability. It could be just the month it could be that in may one guy goes off and one guy gets a little cold and that flip happens and then it never goes back yeah the the factors that go into becoming a big leaguer are so much more than just ability because every single person in minor league baseball has ability spending time last year in double a and just watching guy after guy come out 95 plus with a you know wipeout slider you can take johnny right-hander nowadays Put him in a biomechanics lab, add three miles an hour, add 300 RPM, you know, four inches on a slider, three inches of right on his fastball, and you've turned Johnny Right-Hander into a legitimate prospect. Yeah. You know, the technological revolution changed baseball to a degree that I think was actually a little a little worrying because um, it flipped the, the script so much on hitters. But the game is progressing at a speed in which the ownership is not able to keep up because they've never dug cleats into the dirt. They've never held or thrown a baseball. They don't understand that moving your arm fast enough to throw a ball 100 miles an hour creates an enormous amount of, well, it needs to have an enormous amount of friction to have control. So having a slippery baseball is not a good thing. Yep. So this this game is progressing at a, at a pace that I I really like. It just needs to be embraced and fostered in a way that grows it among the fan base, youth players, um, and internationally. Yes, internationally as well. I mean, there's so many factors that go into it, like you said, and it's really interesting to see it happen firsthand. And I'm a big believer that the minor leagues is a great way for these kids in small towns to be able to get that love and joy for baseball and have the belief that they can also do it too. Um, and, And a great example of it for just for anybody in minor league baseball major league baseball is the savannah bananas and their their Mm. college like just environment like how quirky they are and funny they are and exciting but they make baseball fun and they make people want to be at the game 
and go out there and watch these cool in between inning craziness, right? And just the stuff they do is out of this world and maybe sometimes too far, but um, it's awesome, right? It gets it, people invested. I really hope that some of the ideas from the Savannah Bananas kind of transfer over. Now, maybe not the structural changes, but it's the greatest show in baseball. Yep. It is spectacular. People want to go there. It is going to be, I mean, the the best way to describe it to anybody who doesn't know what it is, is it's the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. Ooh, yep. Amazing. It is like sport with a show. Yep. And there's something about it that really captures the imagination of everybody who watches it. I mean, you have guys pitching on in stilts or hitting in stilts <laughs> and all the crazy rules. And it's just, it, it completely throws this hyper-structured form of baseball through a loop and says, this can be anything you want it to be as long as everyone out there is having a good time. Yep. And I wish that MLB, maybe not in the season, but do off-season things, experiment a little bit. Have a little bit of creativity, which I know is not easy for suits, but <laughs> have a little bit of creativity because that's what this game is. Yep. Every pitcher who's out there has to be creative. How am I going to get this guy out who's just beat me to death three at-bats in a row? Now I have to figure out how to get him out with something a little bit different. Yep. The game is built upon creativity. And I think stifling that, which has been done for years and years, has had an indelible negative impact on the game. Yep. Not allowing players to be themselves. Not allowing players to market themselves. I mean, going to watch a game with you know 18 guys on the field and you only know who two of them are is not very exciting. But seeing that dude come up in the eight hole who you followed since his days in low A, who has ground, you know, grinded, ground his way up <laughs> to the minor leagues. Um, that instills a sense of pride in you as well as a fan. Because you go, I've been there on that journey with that guy. So now you're more invested in watching this team play. Even if they're not very good, if you know the players on a team, even if they're not your team, you become more invested in watching. The reason I think a lot of people pass a TV and they see Shohei Otani hitting, they stop and watch because they know who he is. They've done a great job marketing him. Yeah. But when people walk past the TV and someone like Brian Reynolds is hitting for the Pirates, who's an incredible hitter, nobody knows who he is because the MLB has done a horrible job at marketing some of these incredible players and letting the fans know these are the guys you should be watching. If you really want to watch good baseball, you have to watch the best. Yes. And trust me, Reynolds was good in double A. He yeah. was a tough out in double A because I had to face him. It's not like he all of a sudden got 10 times better. He's always been good. So really displaying to the fans that the quality of baseball throughout minor league, it's incredible. It's really, really incredible baseball. But the perception isn't that it is. So mm. that I think needs to change quickly. There's a, and we talk with a lot of parents and we do a lot of work with, we, we do camps, we work with teams, whether it's high school, college, and we do a lot of, of, of work on the mental side of the game. So you talk about mental performance and mental health and leadership and those types of things with athletes and teams. And what we've noticed, at least for on my end, is when we, we speak with some parents and some athletes and we'll say, yeah, yeah, it's like I played for the Diamondbacks for a little bit and their minor league system. Like, oh, were you in the big leagues or the minor leagues? And then you say, oh, I was just minor leagues for a couple of years. And, and they're me like, oh, the minor leagues. And I'm like, dude, 
we're all really good. Like it doesn't matter if you're minor league, big league, anything, like you said earlier, it's just one little thing, one little adjustment that maybe just clicks for a guy. And, and you said one important, that was the mental stability. And that's why we're so passionate about what we do is because in 2015 had a great year, fast track, life was good. And then boom, get in trouble. The mental game just went to, went to shits for lack of better terms. Yeah. And my performance suffered, but it wasn't the yeah, talent all of a sudden just vanished. Right. It's, it's, Balancing, it's a work-life balance, which is very difficult in this game. Um, you know, I, I've spoken about on multiple podcasts, my own personal struggles with alcoholism and depression and, and where that put me in my career, um, feeling like I was unable to reach out to anybody because if I show any weakness, then that's a, a reason to cut me. Um, so sitting there being concerned about, well, can I bring up the fact that I got really shit face last night and fell on a sidewalk and took off a quarter of my palm. And like, I have to go pitch the next day, just dealing with all the, the self-destructive tendencies I had without feeling like I had an outlet to, to manage that was really difficult for me. Um, now this transitions very well into another reason why I got into this work. The conditions for minor league baseball were so bad and are still bad, but were so bad last year and going back that players just up and left the game. Mm -hmm. They just refused to continue playing it. And to anybody who's unaware, 95% of uh, minor league players make less than $15,000 a year. Now that's not just, I mean, that is only getting paid for the season, but these guys work at minimum 11 months out of the year. That is just what is necessary nowadays. The game's too competitive. Um, so you're only making $15,000 a year. You have to pay for your own apartment. The food you're getting is pretty miserable. You're at the, the women behest of whatever the organization wants of you. So whether that's hop on a plane, fly across the country, go pitch a game there, fly back across the country to come back to your team because you just needed to fill innings. It's extremely difficult for guys to maintain that work-life balance because when you're in a season, there is nothing but the season. And for so many years, guys weren't able to fly their families out because they couldn't afford it or they're living six guys to a two bedroom. So you couldn't have a family there even if you wanted to. And that strain on top of the stress of just trying to play this game, which is one of the most difficult games on the planet to be successful in. I think a lot of guys genuinely struggle with that and they don't know where to turn. I'm glad that the stigma around mental health in sports is finally dissolving. Um, to realize that just using the excuse of, well, you need to be stoic to be successful. Well, yes, but being stoic also means understanding what's causing the emotions mm. and being able to address that and being able to rationalize, why am I having these emotions? Well, it's because I've been put in a shit Motel 8 in Clinton, Iowa, and I'm oh, eating garbage me. food. <laughs> and I've been on the road for 20 days. Like, yeah, that's... That's why the mental health is suffering. That's why that guy may have some trouble commanding his emotions on the mound. He's burnt out. He's, you know, he's at the end of his rope. These are the things that I think fundamentally need to change to keep the game progressing forward in a healthy manner. Whether or not we do that, kind of up to the players, more so up to the owners. Yep. There's a couple of things I want to dive into, and then Ray, I'll kick it off to you here. Um, I remember you mentioned Clinton, Iowa. I remember going to Clinton and Beloit, and I will never go back to either of those places ever again. But I walk into our Clinton, Iowa hotel, 
One, it smells like cow manure everywhere. Number two, there's nowhere to eat after 6 p.m. And number three, I walk into the hotel with my buddy and and we're walking in and, and we get into it and we're like, okay, these beds are a little interesting. Like it's probably the worst place we've ever been. And then I go into the bathroom, look at the towel. There's blood on our towels. There's bugs on the floor. There's bugs in the bed. And we said, uh, can we go sleep on the bus? Like that's the, yeah. the condition. Right? Is that, were you at the super eight? It may have been the super eight. It had to have been the super. Eight. I distinctly remember like, luckily no one stays there anymore. Yeah. Walking in there and thinking to myself, the cognitive dissonance of walking into that building and going, I'm a professional athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Yet there's, bloodstains on my mattress there's bed bugs in half the rooms the whole place smells like cigarettes and cheap perfume yep like it was crushing to walk into that and say yeah i'm a professional athlete yeah i'm proud to be doing what i'm doing absolutely not yep it was that was one of the eye-opening experiences for me that was in 2016 where i was just completely aghast at what i was seeing yeah, we may have even played against each other at some point because I think I'm that sure. was 2016. And it was yeah. like, we walk in, man, and we were rattled. And then you mentioned the two-bedroom apartment. Like, we're living in Missoula, Montana, seven dudes to a two-bedroom. I was literally telling my fiance this before we get on this this call because we were talking about you and what you're doing and, and the, the advocacy that you have for just athletes in general, but specifically minor leaguers. And I was telling her just some of those stories of we had seven dudes with three blow-up mattresses in the living room with dip cans everywhere wearing no like silverware or anything like we never ate a meal there and it was dominoes every night <laughs> it's crazy man. people don't see yeah. it though no i mean a lot of people don't understand what the housing situation used to be mm -hmm. um so you know my initial work with advocates was the housing and at the time we were living uh six to a three bedroom which we had to rent off the huntsville havoc who is the minor league hockey team in huntsville uh, because the list of apartments that the team gave us not one of them was viable they were either absurdly expensive, too far away, uh, they wouldn't do a six-month lease, and the thing that really set me off, and I went on a, a bit of a, a rant in spring training, was some of them weren't built at all. They weren't scheduled to be finished until like late July, early August, and that was on the list of things they were like, yeah, ask these apartments for a place to live. And that just set me off. So I was the one who ended up calling a bunch of apartments and I set it up um, with the Havoc and managed to get that to work. But even then, that was only a month into the season that we were able to get into those apartments. So guys were paying for hotels. Even when we did get into the apartments, I didn't have a bed. So my catcher and I were sharing a mattress. What? It, it just never made sense to me. And it used to be that you get about two days before spring training ended where they would tell you where you were headed. So then you have two days to scramble to try and even call an apartment to set up a meeting when you arrive. You arrive in that city, you get three days in the hotel, and then you're on your own. You have to, one, sign a lease without having been paid since September. So good luck doing that. You have no furniture, no towels, no silverware, no cooking utensils. You have no internet. Most of the time you have to set up your own electricity. I mean, the list goes on and on. The logistics of getting into housing, I think by far was one of the most stressful thing for players because it was just this mad dash to accommodate yourself. And then let's say you sign your lease, you get into a place, you settle in, and two weeks later you get promoted. Yeah. Well, now you're stuck into a lease in a city that you're no longer living in. 
you have money on the line there. If you break your lease, it's two months rent immediately, which you cannot afford. And then you have to get a new lease or move in with somebody at the next place. The logistics were a nightmare and it was never ever addressed. So we went on this campaign against the teams about our housing and it eventually culminated in, in the Brooklyn Cyclones and the Phillies high affiliate wearing these wristbands on the field in September. And three days later, the MLB changed their policy mm. that had stood for decades. Now, granted, when they changed that policy, I actually got the text. I was sitting at dinner with uh, my partner and I started to have like a panic attack because I got the news that we had got housing. And then I started to get congratulatory texts. And then I started to panic simply because I knew the teams had unilateral control and that they were going to fuck it up. And sure enough, not every team, but a lot of teams did. A lot of teams really were just content to say, we're going to put our guys in a hotel doubled up for six months. Nowhere to cook. Like you're, that's it. You're, you're staying in one room with another guy for six months. Have fun. Yeah. And so without the ability for players to have a say in these decisions, the teams just don't know what they're doing. Why? Because as I said earlier, they've never dug their cleats in the dirt. They've never bled on the field. They don't know what it takes to play this game. Yep. That's so, it's, it's amazing the work you're doing, man. Ray, I'll kick it off to you. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, so we've covered a lot of them, but can you just hit on quick, what are the biggest things that some of these players are bringing up to you that need to be addressed moving forward? I know the housing thing has been hit on a lot, but what are some other things? I know I saw uh, a couple of tweets you put out about the, the balls yesterday or two days yeah. ago even, right? Like, Yeah, um, so. <laughs> yeah, what else do you got? That's a, Okay, the balls are a personal vendetta for me um, <laughs> because once again, the way they do it is inefficient and completely insane. But we'll get to that in a second. The number one issue by far, every player we speak to is pay. It is impossible to live on $15,000 a year and be a professional athlete. When you're training in the off season costs between four and $600 a month, when a single PT session outside of the organization's PTs costs about $125. And coming out of the season, you've maybe net a total of three grand there's just no way to live. So guys are picking up second and third jobs. They're, you know, lifting from 6 a.m. to noon, doing all their baseball work, and then going and working eight hours on their feet. Now, from an exercise science perspective, that's a horrible way to do it. You're not giving your body time to recover. You're almost certainly going to struggle to get enough calories in, in any meaningful way. You're not going to be able to fall into parasympathetic states which helps your body recover and digest food because you're constantly on your feet, alert, trying to, you know, work a job, keep your head above water. Without a doubt, the pay structure is number one. The contract structure came up a lot as number two. Being stuck in a seven-year contract without any ability to move. For guys coming out of college at 22 years old, that means you become a free agent at 29. Obviously, no one's intention is to stay in the minor leagues for seven years, but it happens. Development happens at different speeds. Injuries happen. I mean, if you have Tommy John, you lose 18 months. That's now the standard protocols, like 14 to 18 months. So there, I mean, there were a number of issues. Nutrition always came up um, simply because some, 
I'm sure you've seen the photos on minor league grinders or, or whoever else has posted them. Guys are getting raw chicken. Guys are getting bread with one slice of processed meat and processed yeah. cheese after playing three hours. Um, something that pissed me off last year was we got a half cantaloupe that was hollowed out with chicken salad in it. Come on, dude. That's I just awful. can't even find the bowl. <laughs> it's 45 cents. <laughs> Nobody wanted to maybe ask if this was going to work or be enjoyable for anybody. It just little things like that. The inability for teams to communicate with the players who by far, if we're talking about knowledge base in baseball, baseball players have a pretty good one, especially when you're talking about 5,400 of them who all have different backgrounds and experiences. Talk to them. They have knowledge that you do not, owners. Use their, their resources that they've accumulated over their careers to better the systems. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very simple thing, but I suppose when you get ego and money involved, it becomes difficult. What about the balls? Tell me, tell me about the baseball. <laughs> Personal vendetta sorry sorry okay. to push the button on it. <laughs> to me, it is completely absurd that the name of the game, the literal name of the game, is different at every level. And right now, it's different from inning to inning in the big leagues. Minor leagues, is, as you know, Austin, is complete crapshoot what you get. You know, you might throw a pitch with a ball that you really like. It gets fouled away. The next one you get, absolute garbage. That it's one gets true. hit a mile. Well, good. You're not going to get it back, but, you know, your slider just spun up there and, and cement mixed into that dude's barrel. <laughs> that, that, to me, frustrates me more than anything. Because the one tool that is actually uniformly used to evaluate both sides of the game is not consistent. So you take a, a hitter, a great, you know, bat-to-ball hitter, hits gaps all day long, and the team's sitting there going, well, he doesn't have power. Well, he would, maybe not this year, but a couple of years ago, the MLB ball traveled about 30 feet further. Like, it was a marked difference. You put the ball in the barrel, it had about 30 extra feet to carry. So now that gap-to-gap hitter becomes a 15-20 to 20 home run guy in the big leagues. That increases his war significantly. And each, each point of war is about 9 to $10 million in worth. You have a pitcher, let's say, who in the minor leagues can absolutely spin the ball like crazy. Seems are a little bit higher in the minor leagues. Now he gets to the big leagues using those cue balls, trying to spin it. And his first few weeks, he absolutely struggles. Because he's trying to adjust the one thing he's been doing now for, let's say, four years in the minor leagues getting used to throwing things a certain way, gets up to the big leagues, and it's a completely different feel on the ball. None of your pitches work the same. None of them move the same. Your confidence with the ball in your hand certainly changes. Why are we evaluating players with different tools if we're trying to find the best players to play at the big league level? It just, it has never made sense to me. My personal suggestion would be that MLB drops its ownership of Rawlings and it opens up a bid to all manufacturers to design a couple dozen prototype baseballs that fall within a certain parameter marking. So a certain drag coefficient, a certain rebound factor. I would also suggest that it has to be made using sustainable materials. And then once those prototypes are in, you get a committee of players, both pitchers and hitters 
to use the balls, throw them, hit them, feel them, field them, everything. And that panel of players decides which manufacturer gets the bid. Because that contract has got to be worth at least a billion dollars. Easy. Yeah. But we Easy. just keep handing it to Rawlings, who, if I'm being completely honest, haven't put out a good product, whether it's uniform, baseball, bat, they have not put out a good product in forever. If you ever go to a minor league game and you see the uniforms guys are wearing, they look ridiculous. Why? Because they're, they don't fit. You have your five foot eight, 165 pound shortstop wearing a double XL because it's the only thing available. And he's wearing pants that are two inches too short, but that might be the greatest athlete on the field and you would have no idea. So yeah, it carries over into perception of minor leaguers by the fact that our uniforms never fit correctly, which I just think makes fans think, yeah, these guys are just a joke. They can't can't even get shirts to fit. (laughs) I mean, I had a, I had a large and I'm a, at that time, when I was playing, I was probably about 230, 240. I was at least a double X. And I'm, I'm snuggling into a large. And my other dude, we're 49 and 50. We'll never forget it. And we both crushed it. And he's he's bigger than me. He's 255, 260. And he's got a large on. And he's a catcher. So he's like. So he's just like popping seams. <laughs> yeah, Meanwhile, like, I'm out there wearing a double XL yep. at, you know, 185 pounds. Swimming, dripping. trying to get your arm up. Yeah, it's all flopping all over the place. And- <laughs> This is bringing back some some really bad memories, but some good memories to bring back up, man. (laughs) But, you know, think about it from a fan perspective. If you were to see guys in well-fit uniforms, Mm -hmm. and you know what baseball players look like up close, they're monsters. Like, the game has turned into bigger, faster, stronger very quickly. If you get well-fit uniforms, now to me, I love the vests with the dry fit underneath because it really displays, like, these guys are, they're athletes. Yeah. look at them <laughs> yeah. that changes the perception of the minor leagues pretty quickly get new cameras in all the ballparks and make it feel like more of a major league stream so that when people tune in to watch a minor league game they're not watching jimmy out there with his iphone 5 shaking trying to get the pitches make it look professional it's not that big of an investment but from a perspective from a perception standpoint it's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars because quite literally you will look like a million bucks, even if you're only getting paid $15,000. Yeah. So fans will, will buy into that. I mean, I got to, I was lucky enough to be with Rocket City last year with the Rocket City Trash Bandas. And the way that they ran their, their team, you know, the way they utilized their scoreboard, the way they utilized the lighting in the stadium, the uniforms were good, but not perfect, you know, better than most. But overall, it felt like a big league production. Something, Austin, I'm curious if you've ever seen this in a minor league stadium. Have you ever seen a hype video for a reliever? (laughs) Never, let alone a jumbotron or a board that has anything to hype it (laughs) On a 4K board in Rocket City, it was like a couple months into the season, we're sitting there, all of a sudden this music starts playing, the walkout music, and this hype video goes up for a guy coming out of the pen. I've never seen a, a group of 20 some odd year old baseball players collectively lose their shit like that. That's awesome. That's because it made us feel like we were seen. Yeah. And little things like that. It doesn't cost anything, but it means a lot to the players. It helps the fans to know who this person is. It's just, if you really want to create that environment, 
it has to be fostered and you have to build it. It doesn't just come from having good talent. Yeah. I remember, and this will be my last one, and Ray, we can kick it to the game and, and start wrapping up. But um, one thing before I get into this last question, because there's so much, Kieran, that I can relate to you with just from our experiences from the mental health standpoint and a lot of other things. Um, but I remember being in Visalia, and this was when TrackMan was coming around, and we were the only location without TrackMan. But mind you, every team was evaluating you off of your TrackMan stats. How well do you manage the zone? I was a hitter. So how well are you taking pitches? And in our organization with the Diamondbacks, it was, hey, are you taking balls that they're, they're strikes, but say for me, left-handed hitter, I don't like the inside corner. So I'm taking the cutters in. Well, that's technically a good take. And I'm swinging at the ball's middle away. So you test the person's approach. You see their pitchability. You see their swing efficiency. You see everything. And we're the only organization without it at our stadium. So we're only getting half the splits. And they're judging your entire career, your livelihood, off of half the splits on your away games. Dude, I was road. losing my mind. <laughs> and mind you, like if we had those balls that are juiced, I watched dudes and played against in college, played against in, in pro ball who – were not home run hitters. They were three to six home runs, maybe seven or eight. And I'm a home run hitter, right? Being a corner dude. And there's balls that aren't going out, but I'm watching the AAA or the, the big league dude who just misses one off the end and it goes 425 feet. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I want that ball. Yeah, like, I want that ball. Come on. And, you know, if we're talking about raising offense in the game, yep. I, I, I think there's two ways to do it. Don't kill the ball, first off. As a pitcher, let the ball be a little bit juiced because I can make it move four inches more now yep. with technology than I could before. So even out the playing field a little bit there. Secondarily, give the batters a technological advantage. It's time to redesign the baseball bat. Make the barrel a slightly bit larger and a slight bit longer. Don't increase the top end exit velo, but increase the average velo across the barrel and maybe increase the barrel size to allow for that. Overwhelmingly, higher exit velocity equals higher average slugging and on base. Mm. That's just basic numbers. You can do the same with pitching. Higher velocity equals lower average slugging and on base. So redesign the baseball bat. Make it out of sustainable material. Make it probably last a little bit longer than the maple and the ash pass now. Key factor, you have to make it sound good. It still has to sound enjoyable. But give them a te technological advantage to make up for the fact that as I said, you can take Johnny right-hander and turn him into an elite pitcher by having him go from here to here. And just being able to see that with an Edutronic camera and Rapsodo and TrackMan and be, you know, over a weekend, turn a guy into a, into a legit dude. There needs to be some balancing, competitive balancing to the game. Um, and I think it starts with standardizing the baseball, giving the hitters an advantage back, um, those would be the two things for me in terms of competitive advantage balancing. And I just, and this, I would, should have put it on the list, but what is your thoughts on the shift, like the taking away the shift? Mm, I'm pretty ambivalent on it, honestly. Um, I think this new generation of hitters coming up is they're more pure hitters. Uh, you know, when you're coming up in the era, you know, maybe two generations ago, where 95 was still considered hard. Um, you had the ability to sit on that 88 mile an hour fastball and just pull it. Mm. Well, nowadays you have kids coming up where they're facing high school arms, 96, 98, and they have to learn to, well, how do I just get a barrel on this ball? And so it doesn't matter where the ball goes, put a barrel on it. Mm. And so you have a generation of kids coming up now who are just pure hitters. 
Um, there are, you know, great examples of that. The first one that comes to mind for me is Richie Palacios, who just got called up at the Guardians. Just a pure, pure hitter. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I mean, he's been facing the greatest pitching since he was a child. He's been seeing velocity since he was a child. He doesn't care about 98 in. He knows how to get a barrel to that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's been seeing it for 16 years. Yeah. Like, so this new generation of hitters is not going to be as overwhelmed by velocity. But as we've seen, velocity still continues to increase. You still like if you had asked me 10 years ago, will we have three or four guys that are touching 103, 104 miles an hour in baseball, I probably would have said no. We've, we've learned so much about biomechanics and um, efficiency of motion, kinetics, that guys are getting the literal most out of their body. And 100 miles an hour, like, it, it's becoming almost commonplace. Yeah. So the hitters will adapt to that, but I do think that they need a slight technological advantage to balance it out. I like it. Uh, well, Karen, this has been great. I mean, everything that you've hit on has been so interesting. We could sit here and talk to you for hours, but um, let's dive into the game. We'll, it'll be a two-minute game, and then I'll have Austin wrap up for you. Okay. What, we, what we do, it's called on it or off it. It's a list of 10 things. They're kind of random things. You'll tell us you're on it, you're about it, or you're off it, not really your thing, and then just give us a one sentence as to why for each. Okay. All right, so number one, uh, surfing. Uh Ooh, off it. I got a concussion once I broke a nine-foot foam board over my head at um, Salt Creek in California. Just tried to turtle under a wave, came down on the front of the board, cracked it over my head, got a concussion. Not a fun day. I'm out of surfing. Uh, How old were you? Oh, man, probably 16, 17. Uh, Number two, Dairy Queen Blizzards. I I don't do a lot of sweets. I don't do a lot of sugar anymore. Um, I never never really grew up as a Dairy Queen fan. The 255-pound third baseman (laughs) loves Dairy Queens. I'm hurt right now. I'm hurt. (laughs) Uh, Number three, meditation. Oh, on it. Yeah? Um, I think it's a fundamental act of humanity um basically to try and sum this up if you were to imagine pre-agricultural humans out on the plains of africa sitting around their camp either a looking for prey or b listening for predators you're essentially sitting there looking at the landscape doing nothing but breathing and absorbing information which is a um kind of progenitor to meditation as we see it today but i think it's a fundamental part of not only humans but animalia um i mean most dogs will just sit there outside and breathe and be and uh isn't that what meditation really is that's perfect perfect uh number four marvel movies the superhero movies on it i think it fundamentally changed filmmaking and uh i I absolutely love what marvel has done um to create something so wide-ranging and interconnected and make it enjoyable i think it's spectacular do you have a favorite um probably thor ragnarok okay i still just think it's one of the funniest movies i've i've seen and um Hemsworth's portrayal of Thor is, is my favorite. How about Mexican food, number five? Very much on it. Um, both Americanized and traditional Mexican food. It's just good food. Um, yeah, absolutely love it. Perfect. How about bowling? Uh, 
I, I just recently learned how to spin a bowling ball. Oh, nice. And to actually do like the cool keep it along the edge and yeah, spin it back. But um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever bowled above 170 in my entire life. So here's to your 200. <laughs> yeah. How about Disneyland from a Southern California guy? Completely out. Yeah. <laughs> I, it is. That is my nightmare place. I, I just, one, I don't like to be around kids that much. Um, two, it's just the way people act. I just don't like it. <laughs> just because, maybe because I grew up there and I got to go a bunch. Uh, yeah. I just, I saw the worst of it and I was like, no, nope, I'm out. <laughs> uh, number eight, playing video games. Very much on. Currently yeah. obsessed with Elden Ring. Um, nice. I, I love RPGs. Um, just anything that can tell a good story. So for anyone who's looking for good ones, The Witcher 3, Elden Ring, um, Bioshock Infinite is probably my favorite game of all time. Deals with infinite universe theory. Um, the idea that every action creates an alternate kind of reality. Um, the idea of constants and variables that in all universes, there are an infinite amount of constants and one variable. Um, I just, I love the creativity that that medium produces. Unreal Engine 5 is completely changing how that's going, huh? I cannot wait. I think the combination of Unreal Engine 5 and virtual reality will fundamentally yeah. change the way that the world works. And I've been saying it forever. Within 10 years, um, VR is going to be as ubiquitous as a smartphone. Yeah, I agree. Some of the, some of the, sorry, we're off the game, but some of the VR stuff that they're putting out, just the graphic demos on that thing yeah. is just absolutely it, it will be, it'll be fundamentally world changing. Um, I don't think people see the applications for it yet, but it's, that's something I'm, I'm very excited about is Unreal combined with VR. We're going to clip this in eight years. You show yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, number nine, yoga. Also very much on, um, kind of in the same uh, vein as meditation. I think having good proprioception, the ability to know where your body is in space um, is an extremely important tool for humans to have. So the ability to grow body control through something that is slow and deliberate and you have to maintain breathing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people should really give it a shot and realize it's not as, one, it's not easy at all. Um, but two, when you have one experience of yoga where you come out of that hour going, wow, I feel incredible, you'll realize why people do it. Sometimes it takes a couple trips. Yeah. Not always the first trip. <laughs> yeah, don't don't give up. Um, give it a try. Find a good yoga studio. Find a good instructor. Um, find a good YouTube channel. You can do it anywhere. But it's a great way to learn how your body moves in space. Last one, number 10. We'll bring it back to baseball. Interested to hear how you feel about the current 20-round MLB draft. Um, I don't love it. Um, it seems to me that the MLB is doing everything they can to eventually contract the minor leagues more. Um, I, I, I know for a fact that they would love to cut at least one more team. Um, to me, that was a precursor to set that up. Well, like, oh, we're now, now we're not getting in the influx of players because we only have 20 rounds. Well, you did that yeah. because your intention was to eventually cut another team. Um, so not a huge fan of it, especially considering how many big leaguers came from rounds 21 through 40. Yep. Um, so not, not a huge fan. All good. This is perfect. Great job with the, with the 10. Bye, I'll let you go ahead and wrap up. Yeah, it's crazy how you mentioned uh, 
couple of big leaguers from the 21st round and on. We literally just had a 21st rounder yesterday. And really? then one of my best friends is in the 20th round and they're both nasty relievers in the big leagues. I'm like, you never know, right? You, you never, never know because you get into the right system, you get with the right development. You can turn a $15,000 guy into a $150 million guy. Yep. It's, it's just incredible. a matter of who your player development personnel are and how much money you're willing to invest in those guys. Yep. Well, Kieran, man, we appreciate all of your, your insights today, man. Just hanging out with us here for, for the last 45 minutes or so. And uh, we send nothing but the best for you, man, what you're doing, making a change in minor league baseball and more importantly, the lives of these human beings, right? I think that that's the biggest thing that I took away today is they're all human beings, even though they have the professional title and we're all working for something better. So love your mission, man. Love what you're doing. We appreciate you spending the time. And uh, now I'm more encouraged to go hit some yoga again. (laughs) I definitely encourage that. I really appreciate you guys having me on and and allowing me to just sort of speak and muse and, and talk about the things that I really, I have a deep passion for. Um, I I think the things coming out of this campaign and coming out of what advocates is doing will have far, far deeper cascading effects than we even spoke about today. Mm. Um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but there, there will be benefits that I don't think anyone is even realizing right now that go far beyond the, the borders of our country. It, it will fundamentally change things uh, for the better, in my opinion. So I'm just going to keep plugging away at it. Um, just I, I, you know, to any of the players out there who are listening to this, it's, it's you guys, it's, it's entirely you, um, you know, Harry and I worked to pass the torch onto the players and now the players have a chance to build something that is uniquely theirs. Um, so I'm, I'm beyond excited to see what happens, especially as, as this year finishes out. Um, but as this game moves forward, I, I just hope I have the opportunity to continue working to, to help in any way I can, I suppose. We love it, man. We're sending you the best, man. And uh, keep on plugging away, man. Good work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. All right, we're back. Karen, first of all, thank you so much for sitting down with us, taking some time. I know your guys' schedule is crazy busy. And you, as the guy that's like reaching out, the boots on the ground, dude, talking to all these people, I'm sure you're, you're always on the phone and always in person talking with people. But thank you for taking the time. By as a former minor leaguer yourself that has seen the ins and outs of uh, some trials, just playing baseball, really, and trying to make a living at it. What would you think about the interview with Kieran and what were some points that came up that you thought were huge? I think it was just really cool to see what he's doing and trying to provide some help and installing a better process to help others and and kind of highlight some of the organizations that do do a really good job of this. And then um, without throwing anybody under the bus, there are plenty of them that maybe don't do the best job or prioritize it as much. And so I think for his goal is to help streamline throughout all minor leagues that these are human beings too, that they um, should live in healthy environments to have the right foods, to have the right payments and things like that to help them produce their careers as well because they're professional athletes as well so I think that was more was that your cat was that dude this has been a tough day I couldn't I couldn't hold that in but I just hear the little scatter and see the the thing shake this is this is beautiful this has been awesome Uh, but going back to that I thought that was really cool and then some of the stories of just some of the living conditions that some guys dealt with and then how he's providing those solutions for people is really really cool to to watch yeah, he, we talked about it. We bring it up a little bit on the food side of things, right? Like, because we were very fortunate to be at, Jay's a huge guy on the food side, right? Like, so Nevada was like, we were spoiled. And then you get off to the minor leagues and sometimes the pregame spread is cheeks, for lack of a better word, you know, yeah. it's just terrible. So 
Um, that's the start. And then you get into things that are more serious, which we don't think about too often, but the baseballs, man, like the mm. baseballs in professional baseball, MLB, we haven't figured it out to the point where we can use the same ball every game. Guys are getting slick baseballs now. Dudes are getting thrown at and everybody throws 105 now. So it's like, it's a dangerous game. So if we can get these things lined up and right, if the, the league and the owners can sit down and talk with the players like Kieran's been pushing for, and if he can continue to push for the right things, I think that baseball is going to be in such a better place down the line. And and even though it's changing, even though the, the shift is being banned or whatever, and they're trying to make all these things that are trying to make the game more fun again, if we can just take care of the players, you know, take care of your people first, I think the game will begin to be more fun again. So I don't know. That's all I got. So that's all we got today. Again, Kieran, thank you for joining us, taking your time out of your day. It's been amazing just to sit down with you and the rest of the guests that we've had leading up to now. I mean, this season's been crazy. We have a lot of good guests coming up uh, in the next coming weeks as well. So shout out to JB for lining those up. Uh, Austin Byler, good luck with your travels coming up here. I know it's going to be a little bit of a trying time, I'm sure, but uh, Lex will keep you sane, I, I would assume. So shout out to her. And then now, if you guys ever want to get involved, we say this kind of at the end of every episode, but MajorLeagueUniversity.com, the merch is up. So MajorLeagueUniversity slash merchandise for anybody trying to pick some stuff up. I know I'm repping some UC Davis gear today. I got to give a shout out to the boys. But yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to get that sweatshirt. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a specialized hoodie from Todd. But uh, yeah, check it out. Project Sandlot, if you want to jump into the charitable piece, we are putting together a lot of camps and, and a camp swing for some free camps as well as obviously all our paid camps that we're trying to keep costs down so you can help us out on that as well that's all i'm going to do for today i hope you guys have a blessed week and we'll see you soon